Yes, we're working to take our faith to the next level. Thank you again for joining us. And I so appreciate Elliot's message last week as he talked about brotherly or mutual affection and love and the encouragement there. Tonight is another opportunity for us to gather outside an outdoor worship service in our back parking lot at the church building. It's at 7 p.m., also, don't forget to be signing up for one of our small groups because next Sunday we begin a new series called Eyes Up, Anchors Down. It's going to kick off our small groups. We'll be studying that all together as an entire church. And so don't, don't miss that opportunity. So today we finish up this series called Level Up. And it's so important because it's so easy for us to coast in our faith. And this series is a challenge from P- Peter that we keep working at that faith, that we keep taking steps. And so as we look at this, we're continuing the study from Second Peter chapter 1. And the purpose is really to help us as we're, even in the midst of this COVID, just kind of the things that are going on, um, to step into our faith. And so today, the passage we're going to look at includes both the promise and a warning. So which are you more motivated by? You're more motivated by a promise or by a warning? I'm not sure that there's any one right answer that fits every scenario. You know, as children, we were often motivated by both. You can have some ice cream if you eat all your broccoli. Okay. I was certainly motivated by my father's warning. I brought you into this world and I can take you back out of this world. When it comes to our health, Maybe you're motivated by the promise side of, you know, greater energy or stronger muscles or just a greater sense of feeling about yourself. Or maybe you're motivated by the warnings, the warning of the risk of cancer or some other kind of disease that you can get. We're all very different. And so we're motivated by different things. So that's maybe why the Bible is filled with both. There's warnings in Scripture, as well as a multitude of promises. Scripture is filled with both of those. As we, you know, talked about in the very first week or discussed in week one, some of the promises in Scripture are all dependent upon God and have nothing to do with us. Like, God promised something, and it's going to happen. The rainbow in the sky So God says, I'm going to put that up there no matter what. Every time you see it rain, you're going to see that rainbow. And it's my promise that there will never be a worldwide flood. We don't do anything to receive that promise. But many of the promises are what we would call conditional. God will do this, but it's really up to our obedience to him in order to receive that promise. Salvation is a conditional promise. God promises he will forgive anyone who chooses to put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So when I take that step of obedience and putting my trust in Jesus, he forgives me. So Peter brings to us an amazing conditional promise that also includes an accompanying warning. It isn't just enough to step into the promise. It is because if we do not step into this promise, there are also some consequences that we will suffer as a result of not stepping into it. And so today I want to encourage you to step into this promise from God to live an effective, 
life for him. So turn in your Bible or the Bible app, whatever you have, but turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, right there in your living room. And I want you to listen and watch as the Brunies, Kendall, Sherry, and Paige, read and actually sign our passage for us. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. So the first question, if we're talking about promises and warnings, is how do we know that the promise of Scripture will come true? If you look right after this passage in 2 Peter chapter 1, it's a pretty extensive passage where Peter tells us why we can believe the promises. He says, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. He says, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I'll make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. And that's what we're reading right now, what Peter left for them. But he goes on. He goes, we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then he goes on in verse 20, and here's what's important in regard to promises. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture, in other words, anything we read in God's Word, no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Human beings wrote down what God wanted us to know. Now, the next series, our kickoff series for our small groups this fall, we're going to spend more time discussing why God's Word is foundational to our life, how we can anchor our lives in God's Word. We're going to talk about the validity and the reliability of Scripture. But Peter, who's guided by the Holy Spirit, reveals that this book is from God, and we would do well to pay attention to it. And so Peter ends our passage, this one in 2 Peter 1 that we've been studying, with a promise and a warning. So here are Peter's words again, starting in verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them and is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about a promise and a warning. Let's begin with the promise. 
So this word promise that you find, especially up in verse four, um, is, is a word which means a verbal commitment by one person to another, agreeing to do something or not do something in the future. Um, it could also mean in that day to announce an intention. This is what I am going to do. So it's a promise. Now, of course, we find ourselves in a season of a multitude of promises. Yes, it is the promise of a candidate who's running for political office. The problem with those promises is that we all know so many of them go unfulfilled. I mean, it's not that I'm saying that a political candidate doesn't mean that they're going to keep them. I can't judge their intent. It's just that they're so much out of their control. I just wish they wouldn't promise what they know they cannot do. But that's a whole nother sermon for another time. But God's promises that we find in his word, they're in a whole different category. Because when God promises something, it will happen. God promises in the past They've always been fulfilled. You can look back through scripture and you can find all of those. And God's promises in the present, in your life and in my life, and God's promises for our future, what's going to happen to us and how we can live our lives, they will happen because God's promises you can count on. So the real question for you and I as we study these is this. Do you want to participate in God's very great and Precious promises. So what's promise number one? Look at verse eight again. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's take a moment and break that down a little bit. So he says, for if you possess these qualities, to possess something means it's at my disposal was often used in regard to our possessions. We possess our possessions. The idea is that we may need to make these qualities our qualities. I mean, that they are so much a part of my life that they belong to me. That it can be said, I am a person of goodness. I am a person who has knowledge about God. I am a person of self-control. That these qualities are so much a part of my life that I possess them so much that they would be words that would be used to, to describe me. And of course, none of us possess all of these qualities in full all of the time, but especially when we begin our walk with Jesus Christ. But this promise and the fulfillment of this promise doesn't require that I have all of these at all the time. Because Peter uses a phrase, he says, for if you possess, hold on to these qualities, if they are yours, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. It, it, it was the idea of saving, you know, a little by little, it is increasing. Or it is the picture of a garden growing little by little. So this is our garden in our backyard. Notice the tall fence to keep out the crazy deer. Anyway, these are our tomato plants. They've done exceptionally well this year. Um, there's still some tomatoes on them. We've really enjoyed tomatoes this year. My dad has especially enjoyed lots of big, juicy tomatoes. But they didn't start out this way, right? 
they start out as little seeds in your hand. So we cheated a little bit and we bought plants, but somebody started them, right, as seeds. And we know that plants grow little by little. Now, let's imagine the day after Patty planted these tomato plants, which then were little and scrawny. Let's imagine I come out the next day expecting to find fully ripened, big red tomatoes. And coming out and obviously having found none of those, what if I would have said, these plants are worthless, they don't work, and I would have just ripped them out of the ground and thrown them away. First of all, my wife wouldn't have been too happy about that with me. But you'd say, Doug, that's foolish. We know that you can't come out and expect tomatoes to grow overnight. And the same is true in your walk and my walk in relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't become fully mature the moment we come out of the baptistry or the moment we say yes to Jesus Christ. It's little by little. And so we need to understand that the promise Peter uses in that word, this increasing measure, it's more about slow growth. It's more about a regular, consistent development of this part of faith in our lives. And so to claim the promise is simply to get up one every single day and say, okay, today I'm going to work on goodness. Tomorrow I'm going to work on knowledge. The next day I'm going to work on self-control. I'm not going to be perfect at it. I'm not going to have it happen overnight. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to fail. But it's not about becoming perfect or fully mature. It's about the daily consistent effort that I put into it. Just like a garden, it grows little by little. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So again, many of the promises of Scripture are conditional. This one is. So my part of the promise is that if I develop these qualities that Peter mentions little by little, that they are growing in my life, what will God do? And that's what comes next, right? When I am increasing in these qualities just a little bit, Here's what God does. He says they will keep me from being ineffective and unproductive. Ineffective. Um, It means to be idle or lazy or useless, that you have no beneficial use. You are incapable of functioning usefully. You're ineffective. In farming terms, it's the word barren. It means the soil can't grow any kind of a crop. It will keep me from being ineffective. It will also keep you from being unproductive, unfruitful, you know, not producing the desired or the intended results. It's, it's just simply not bearing fruit. See, I want to be effective and productive for Jesus Christ. I, I want to see in my life all of the fruit that God desires to come out of my life. I want to be able to be patient when others attack. I want to be able to look at a person who's my enemy, but see them in love. I want to not grow anxious when life grows difficult. I want to see those truths, those fruits, that result. I want to see that produced in my life. And so God tells me that I will. When I take that simple first step to add to my faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and that I consistently do that daily, little by little, like that garden growing, 
I received a very encouraging email this week from one of our members um, thanking our leaders for making, you know, very difficult decision about regathering in person. But in her email, she said this, she said, thanks and keep your heads up one day at a time. Such a great phrase. It's an apt description of our Christian walk. It's just simply one day at a time. Today, I'm going to grow and I'm going to let God develop brotherly love, knowing full well that I'm going to make some good choices and I'm going to make some bad choices. But what matters most is that today, what I'm trying to increase in a quality that honors God. I'm, I'm, I'm going to truly today just live one day at a time. I'm going to put this into practice. I'm going to increase in this area. The promise is, if you, you make these qualities yours, even just a little bit of a time, you will discover an effective and a productive life in Jesus. And that's what I want. And I know that's what you want as well. But then there's the flip side, right? There's also the warning. Look at verse 9. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Now, I would much rather focus on the promises of God and what He will do in your life and mine. But we know that warnings can be important in our lives. Or, I guess at least some warnings that we see, some, of course, warnings that we see, really make you wonder, what actually happened to prompt that kind of a warning? I saw a warning one time on a Duraflame fireplace log, and it said this, caution, risk of fire. Are you kidding me? On a Superman costume, there was the warning, cape does not enable user to fly. Or how about this one on this lift? Avoid death. <laughs> of course I want to do that. Or those cardboard sun shields you put in the windshield of your car, you know? One of them had a warning sign that says, do not drive with sun shield in place. Duh. My favorite was this one on a washing machine. It says, do not put any person in this washer. Now, the warning Peter provides us is not stupid or frivolous. It is critical. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting they have been cleansed from their past sins. So again, whoever does not have them, the them are the qualities that Peter mentions up there in verses 5, 6, and 7. And so when he's talking about if you don't have them, that's what he's pointing to there. And so we have on the one side the promise, you know, we possess them. They, they're ours. They're an identifiable part of our lives. Not in big, huge quantities, but what? Day by day, little by little, they're, they're increasing, right? They're in growing. And so on the one hand, we possess them. But here Peter talks about, but whoever does not have them. On the other side, the warning... If we don't possess them, in other words, if they're nowhere to be found in our life, because what? We never ever lift a finger to put any of them into practice. We never consider how important they are. We never even think, I need to be good today. That's the warning, the promise and the warning. Now, let's face it. 
We all have those times in our lives where life is overwhelming or we just don't really care. It's just been such a bad day or we've been so distracted that, you know, almost the last thing on our mind is putting some of these qualities into practice. So I'm not talking about a day that happens to us like that every once in a while. I'm not talking about being a little distracted. What Peter is saying here is that these qualities are so far away from the, our, our minds that they never enter our minds. They, they, they're never a part of our life. And so what's the warning? Is that if we don't possess them, if they're not a part of our life, we are nearsighted, we are blind, we totally forget what is most important. See, when I refuse to take my Christian walk seriously, when I'm neglecting any of the any element of the qualities that God wants in my life, when I become so totally distracted that living for Jesus never even enters my mind, when that's true about me, Peter gives us a very stark warning. You are nearsighted. You are blind. In fact, you have been, you've forgotten the cleansing of our sins that came by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, saying somebody is both nearsighted and blind seems like that's a little bit of contradiction, right? How can I be both? You know, if I'm nearsighted, I can't be blind. If I'm blind, who cares that I'm nearsighted? What, what's happening here is it, it's, it's simply the writer attempting to use words to convey a tragic state in a person's life. You can't see what God has done for you. You can't even remember the precious gift of salvation. You, you've found yourself so far away from God that you cannot ever see him or remember the great work that he did in your life. I mean, that, that is such a horrible state to find ourselves in, that at one point we were clearly seeing God and now we can't. And according to Peter, if I choose to neglect my walk with Jesus Christ and not pursue and put forth as much effort as, our can, as I can in allowing the qualities that God desires into my life to, to continue to happen, there's a warning, an outcome that is both profound and horrible. And the reason Peter provides us this warning is not to terrify us, but rather to inspire us to know that we must keep our walk with Jesus as the top priority in our life. Because you know, and I know, that the distractions of this life conspire against us. I mean, there's so many things that happen in our life that work against us focusing on Jesus Christ. And so my question is for you, is, is this you today? Are you so far from the work of God in your life that you're blind or you've forgotten what God has done for you? I mean, if that's you then there's an amazing parable that was told by Jesus that I really want you to listen to. It's from Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. 
After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, "How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, 'Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants.'" So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, "Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son." But the father said to his servants, "Quick!" Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. My prayer is that today is your come to your senses day. That today you choose to return to the Father, whose arms are open wide to you, in love for you. If that warning is true for you, it's time to come back to God. But be warned that the longer you walk in the other direction, the longer you walk the other way, the more difficult it is to find your way home. But it is never too late. And as we have encouraged you in this series, it's not about huge things happening every day in our life. It's just one step. That's all God is asking. And when we take that one step, God in his great love empowers us through his spirit to live for him. Now, it does require our first effort, right? We're the ones that need to take the step. We're, we're the ones that need to begin to move that way. But when we begin to take that step, God takes over and God works through us. Do you ever think much about the power steering in your car? probably don't even give it a second thought, of course, until you're driving down the road and your power steering goes out and you can't even hardly steer the car. Or when your car is sitting here and it's not on right, it's just, it takes so much effort to even try to turn the steering wheel. When we talk about being effective and productive in living for Jesus Christ and our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, when, when Peter says, you know, we need to have these values in increasing measure, we sometimes wonder, well, I mean, how can, how can I do that? How, how can I have those kind of qualities in my life? It's a lot like power steering in the car. It's like 
All I have to do is begin the effort and the Holy Spirit takes over. And so when my car's on, right, all I have to do is take a finger and it's like it's no effort to turn the steering wheel. And that's how God works in your life and my life. We initiate the effort and God's Spirit takes over and empowers us uh, almost in a beyond human way to be effective and productive in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so I don't have to be perfect, right? That's not the idea here. I just need to begin the effort every single day. And so whether it's goodness or it's knowledge or it's self-control. For me, I've struggled in my life in the area of anger. Um, And it was like in the past, I didn't even care. But as I began to see God's need in my life and I began to let God work in my life, I began to face some of these situations in which I would typically become so angry, but then I would realize I I need to put forth that effort. And so I'd say, God, I need your help to exercise some self-control here. But I began to take a step of listening more carefully or of speaking slowly. And something happens and God begins to take over and work in my life. God wants to help us be effective and productive, but we must take that step. We must begin that work and effort in our lives. God has provided you and I everything we need to live for Him. And through His promises, His great and precious promises, we can escape being polluted by this world, and we can live a life of meaning and significance for Him. How do we do that? By putting forth every effort. By increasing our work to add to our faith in Jesus, the qualities of goodness and knowledge about God, of self-control, of perseverance, of godliness, of brotherly kindness and love. And when we daily put, put forth even just a little bit of effort to increase in these areas, what God does is He steps into your life and mine and He empowers us so that we are effective and productive. And when we choose to be distracted, then the warning is very telling. Hey guys, I'm back at my family farm, The Circle J, and I'm standing on the porch of a house that my grandfather built, my great-grandfather built, John Jap. Now, it doesn't look like much now. It's pretty much in ruins because seven years ago, there was a fire and don't worry, no one was injured, everyone was okay, but there was a fire on the house and the roof and the floor all came crashing down. But as you can see, the walls and the foundation still remain. Because you see, whenever they were building this house, my great-grandfather and his brother decided that they were going to make cement walls and a cement foundation. Whenever they built the frames that they were going to pour the cement into, not only did they pour the cement in, they put in chicken wire to help stabilize it more. And my grandpa did, my great-grandfather did something kind of funny. So he was a mechanic. He owned his own mechanic shop in Lawton, Oklahoma, and he just brought a bunch of random parts down here and put them also in that framework before the cement was poured and while the cement was being poured and no one knows for sure what all is in these walls it's almost like a time capsule for his mechanic shop so as you can see they remain even though the chaos occurred in that fire and everything can crashing down the firm foundation and the walls remained 
I don't know about you, but I want my faith to be like this, that even in the chaos, my firm foundation in Jesus, the strong walls that I've built up through Jesus and that firm rock foundation is going to remain and help me to stay the path, stay strong and continue to lean on Jesus. The thing is, though, is that that doesn't happen in the moment if I only wait until the chaos occurs to start building that firm foundation. It takes leveling up in our faith and giving that time before the chaos occurs. We're prepping for it. Now, I know we've all survived different storms in our lives. Maybe it was a tornado. Maybe you've dealt with hurricanes. Maybe it's just a really bad thunderstorm that brought down a lot of trees. Um, but most of us kind of have a plan in place for when a storm is going to occur. Maybe you have flashlights, the tor- a tornado shelter. You know the route you're going to take if there's a hurricane. Um, and different other different things that we do to prep for a storm. You don't wait till the storm comes and have zero idea what you're going to do. You have preparation in place, and that's how our faith should be in order for us to withstand the trials, the chaos, the storms, the deep waves that are going to come in our lives and affect us. We want that firm foundation in Jesus. This month in we've been talking about leveling up in our faith on Sundays. And I really challenge you guys to take to heart what Doug is saying. Take to heart the passage from Second Peter in building up in goodness and self-control and knowledge and leveling up in those ways. I really challenge you to pray to God and ask him, what is it, Jesus, that I can do that's going to level up my faith? And what do I need to focus in on that's going to make me be able to lean on you better, God? And just really take that in so that you too can have a firm foundation and firm walls whenever you face the chaos of this life.